in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is speaking for God. The people of God had wandered away, but they have regained their faith. They've stopped living their corrupt lives, and God has, of course, forgiven them. Isaiah is reassuring the people of God that because of their faith, they will be protected by God. Through Isaiah, God says this to the Israelites in chapter 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. Notice that it does not say you will never walk through fire. This is very important, and it tells us what happens when faith meets the real world. The popular pseudo-Christian teaching that faith in God will relieve you of sickness, poverty, and all earthly problems is totally false. Rather, God will get us through the fire. And when we exit the fire, we will be okay. We will be at peace. In fact, surviving and finding that we can continue in life with the knowledge that God has seen us through something terrible, this gives us confidence and brings us back to a state of joy. We feel a sense of empowerment when we survive tragedy, when we live through a period of anxiety, and then discover that we can put something terrible behind us because we have experienced God carrying us through. We also learn empathy for other people when things don't go great for us. You can't appreciate someone else's burdens when you've never had any of your own. History has shown us that the people who do the most for the world are rarely people who have lived gilded lives. We also learn just how much we do need God and how relatively worthless are the things of this world. When money, success, power cannot make all our problems go away, when the randomness of life strikes us, we come to understand that God's grace does a lot more for us than earthly riches. I talked to a man a while back. Let's call him George. He was sitting in the waiting area outside the OR. A friend of his was getting some major surgery done, and George was waiting to see how it turned out. I had been sent to shoo him away, because our COVID rules required that no one be sitting around the hospital in public areas. All visitors were to remain in the rooms of the people they were visiting. Anyone who wanted to wait on someone in surgery had to wait outside the hospital for someone to call them with a status update. The man was very cooperative, even apologetic. He admitted to deliberately slipping by the security check at the front desk. He was maybe in his early 40s. As he stood up, one of his legs buckled and he looked lightheaded. 
He sat back down. I squatted down next to him. I asked him if I should get him some help. George said no, and that it was just the long-term effects of a rattlesnake bite. He told me that he was still suffering from fatigue related to having been snake bit, and that he was also having some motor problems. He had been bitten on a hiking trail near Boulder and had been given anti-venom at another hospital. George said that he was okay, that he needed to learn to not stand up so quickly. He was a little embarrassed. But since I was nervous about him, I walked with him out of the hospital and to his car. As we were walking across the parking lot, I suggested that maybe he shouldn't be driving, that he should call someone to pick him up. George said that he could drive just fine. We stopped and chatted by his car for a few minutes. He said that he had been on a trail alone in the foothills when he felt a sudden pain on his leg, looked up, and saw the rattlesnake with its teeth in him. It then let go and slithered away. He had no idea what to do, and he started to panic. But another hiker did know what to do. A young woman told him to sit on a rock and to stay still. She told him to try to stay relaxed so that his heart rate would stay low. It was important, she said, to stop the venom from traveling quickly through his body. She told him to keep his leg low well below his heart. Then she called 911. An older couple on the trail sat with him, helping him stay calm. He said the woman, who was about 75, held his hand. A teenager carried him to the entrance to the trail where the ambulance picked him up. Within a few minutes of getting to the emergency room, he had been given the anti-venom. He was assured that he had gotten it in plenty of time to save his life, but they couldn't guarantee that he wouldn't suffer from any long-term effects. I told him that I was very happy he'd made it. Then he said that the incident had been, in a way, very positive. People who didn't know him interrupted their hikes and their day to help him. The EMTs had been very reassuring and caring. He realized that most people in the world didn't have an emergency room full of people just waiting to help in their time of need. He said that he lived alone and that instead of having his usual solitary walk on a trail, he ended up interacting with several very good people. It was a lot more rewarding than yet another hike alone, he said. Even though he was nervous about the long-term effects of the snake bite, it had reinforced his faith in people. He had never wavered in his faith in God, just his faith in people. Then he asked me to pray with him before I left. He said he wanted to offer a prayer of thanks. He had learned that when God guides us through something terrible, God will sometimes do more than reinforce our trust in God. God builds our trust in people. I then described to George a story from the book of Acts. 
the history of the spread of Christianity after the crucifixion of Jesus. It comes near the end of the book in chapter 27. It tells us about a perilous journey that Paul took by ship. Paul was traveling across the Mediterranean Sea westward, and he's shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Paul would have been killed if the centurion had not moved to save his life. The people on the island welcomed them and lit a fire to warm them up. But then this happens. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on to his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In this passage, Paul decides to be a good guest and he helps with the fire. A snake, which has been attracted by the heat of the fire, bites him on the hand and doesn't let go. Apparently, the, quote, natives who live there have some sort of pagan belief that being bitten by a snake indicates that a man is a murderer. These people were polytheists who probably had developed some mythology to account for bad things happening to people who didn't seem like they're evil. But then Paul takes the snake off his hand and tosses it into the fire. Paul doesn't even get sick, let alone die. He's completely unharmed by the snake bite. So the natives decide that he must be a god. Clearly, these folks aren't Christians. Then Paul successfully cures a number of sick people on the island. We assume that he also turns this into an opportunity to evangelize the residents of Malta and bring them into the kingdom of God. But here's the point of this story. God didn't stop Paul from being bitten by a snake. He also didn't stop George from being bitten by a snake. There's a difference between the two stories, of course. Paul was able to perform a miracle on himself. George had to make something good happen the hard way, by putting up with the lasting effects of the snake bite and using his own positive outlook on life to turn it into something good. In both cases, though, we see that God doesn't stop bad things from happening. And in both cases, God worked to build the bonds between humans. In my messages, I usually use the English Standard Version of the Bible. But here's the beginning of Psalm 133 from the New International Version. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, 
down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. We don't think like the people who live on Malta, at least not who lived there during the time of Paul. We don't believe that someone must be a god when something good comes out of a bad event. We know that good can come from something bad. We're willing to accept God's decision to not conceal us from bad things. And we trust that God does this because it is in our best interest. Importantly, it doesn't mean that we must ignore tragedy when it happens. I'm not minimizing what could be a long-term physical disability for George, and I applaud his ability to rise above something scary. I saw George once more. He was back in the hospital hours later, looking for Chaplain Buzz. His friend's surgery had had mixed results. The man was alive, but when the surgeon was operating on him, more medical issues were discovered. George's friend would have a permanent chronic medical condition. He would need in-home health care for several years and even perhaps for the rest of his life. George was sad. He said that he didn't have many friends, and after all those people had helped him after being snake bit, he wanted to help his friend from work. His buddy had been very nervous about his surgery, and George had done all he could to make him less anxious going into it. George had wanted very badly to joyfully bring his friend home with everything having gone perfectly. I told him that he could still take his friend home in joy. I said that this wouldn't be a quick and simple ride home in joy, like the process he had hoped he would have. But I asked him, have you told your friend about being snake bit? Have you told him the story of how you developed a deeper trust in people by having that happen? George asked me if I was saying that his friend should look upon his bad news as an opportunity to connect with more people and develop trust in them. I said that the most important thing was to tell his friend that George would be there for him, that George would help him get whatever professional medical help he needed. And yes, he could advise his friend to trust not just God, but people as well. That's one thing our society is missing right now, a true, deep and sincere trust in our fellow humans. It's something very rare in the United States today. But don't forget that we are all made equally in God's image. 